0: Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Welcome to a sermon podcast from Salem Lutheran Church. For more information, please stay tuned at the end of the sermon. We have a number of texts for consideration as we consider the theme for this past week for our Vacation Bible School. The theme was Back to Jerusalem, but we visited a number of places in Jerusalem as we understood what happened at these places to learn more about who Jesus is and ultimately what he has done for us. And our first place was in the city of Jerusalem itself. And I'm going to open with these words from Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, the Old Testament believers would hear about the Savior who was to come. They had the same faith as we do, that trust and confidence, but always looking forward to Jesus' coming. We have the privilege of knowing he has come. This is why we're going back to Jerusalem. But we still look forward. We look forward to his second coming on the last day. So our faith is still pointed forward to the coming of Christ. Now we know very little about Jesus' childhood. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Virgin Mary. We know he is fully God and fully human in one person. We certainly hear quite extensively from the holy scriptures of his public ministry that took place from the age of 30 to 33 but concerning his youth there's only one passage that speaks about it now there is all kinds of speculation there were other books that were written to describe the youth of Jesus but we do never we do not consider those books on the same par as the old and new testament We're told in the New Testament as we go back to Jerusalem that Jesus at the age of 12 went with Joseph and Mary to Jerusalem for the annual celebration of the Passover. This they regularly did. And in order to go to Jerusalem, we're looking at possibly a good week to get there. And because much of the area is mountainous, it's not unheard of that travelers and worshipers would travel together in order to avoid thieves and robbers. Jesus was traveling with his parents and, and Joseph and Mary, of course Joseph being a stepfather, if you will, and along with the other relatives that were going with them. And at the end of the celebration, we find out that Joseph and Mary decided to go back along with the other relatives, assuming that Jesus was around. And after a day of traveling back, they found out that Jesus didn't return to their camp. Asking the other relatives, have you seen Jesus? They did not. So immediately they headed back, which would have been another day travel back. And when they got there, they spent a even relatives that lived there asking about Jesus and they found him all of a sudden at the temple. He was asking questions to the religious leaders. They were awed by the answers that he even gave. Mary would approach Jesus and obviously losing the Lord, Lord Jesus himself came up and 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 questioned what he was doing. And Jesus would respond, I had to be doing my father's business. The father's business was not being a carpenter. I know that people call Jesus the carpenter's son, but he was not a carpenter's son. God is his father. And even at the age of 12, Jesus already understood who he was and the mission that was before him. And that's the salvation of the world. In fact, we're told that he obeyed Mary and Joseph and was faithful to them. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're sinners who badly need a Savior. But the kind of Savior we need is one who hasn't sinned. One who is perfect and holy. And yes, Jesus was tempted in every way. And yet did not sin. And therefore, even at the age of 12, knowing who he was, kept that law perfectly for us in order to be the Savior of the world. Hear now the beautiful words recorded in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So that faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. We go back to Jericho, and we're going back to a time when Jesus is actually being followed by a rather large crowd. The crowd in Jericho got so great that there was a man who was not able to see Jesus. He was short. But we find out that he was actually a very wealthy man. This wealthy man couldn't get past the crowd. He couldn't even get in the front row. So he decided to go down the road and climb up a sycamore fig tree and be able to see Jesus that way as Jesus was walking by. Jesus stopped and said something very profound to the man. He called him by name. Zacchaeus, come down from there. I'm coming to your house today. And he went to the house of Zacchaeus. Now some in the crowd, and especially the religious leaders, were very appalled by this. Because the Zacchaeus, it turns out, wasn't just the tax collector. He was the chief tax collector. Tax collectors were not liked at all. They were always compared with the sinners. These were the low castes in society. These were the rejects. These were the people that were not allowed to be in the synagogues. These were the people, especially the tax collectors, who were known to take more taxes than they ought to take. People saw them as robbers and thieves and very evil men. And yet Jesus is going to this man's house? Yes. And as Jesus is there, no doubt preaching and teaching, we hear of Zacchaeus being moved with a repentant heart and a humble heart as well. He says to Jesus, I will take half of my possessions and give it to the poor. And anyone that I have robbed and stolen from, I will pay him back four times more than I stole. Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. And what is amazing is faith doesn't float around in thin air. Oh, faith is actually worked in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that, and the Holy Spirit doesn't work out of thin air. The Holy Spirit always works through the word of God, through that gospel message of hope and salvation. Faith always has to have an object. And the object of saving faith is Jesus Christ. And being moved by the message of Jesus Christ, who is his savior as well, he responded by being generous to others. Out of love for his Savior, who loved him first. This is Zacchaeus. We continue with the beautiful words recorded in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God showed his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It was Good Friday, and Jesus is being nailed to the cross. He's facing a criminal's death of the worst kind. In fact, this is a kind of execution that hasn't been in the history of this world since. Horrible form of execution. It was meant to be a public humiliation, and a person could stay on this cross, I've heard, anywhere from seven to 10 days. The worst part of it was your difficulty in breathing. So it is not surprising that we don't hear very very many words from Jesus. And the words that we do have must have been spoken in a very slow way, as every breath would be needed to get another word out. Jesus nailed to the cross. Of course, since it was a public humiliation, they made fun of him. Oh, if he was really the son of God as he claims to be, Why does he not just come down from the cross? And of course, he is the true son of God. All of his miracles prove that over and over again. Miracles that only God could do. And yet Jesus, being the very son of God, did did not make full and constant use of his divine power and glory, and therefore did not come down from the cross. Even one of the thieves made fun of him, and another thief, actually rebuked the first one. Remember, he's being crucified with two others. Jesus is in the middle. The one thief that rebuked the other responded and said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus would reply, today you will be with me in paradise. I tell you the truth. Jesus also shouted out in Aramaic, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. People were making fun of him, thinking that he was talking about Elijah. And actually, he was quoting from Psalm 22, the very first verse of that psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He would be nailed to the cross at 9 a.m. at noon. The sky would turn dark and would remain dark for several hours. At 3 o'clock, he would bow his head for the last and take his last breath. Before that, he would say the most profound profound words in all of the world. It is finished. One word in the Bible. It is finished. Literally means it is paid in full. And yes, the debt of sin that we owe to God because of sins have been paid in full. He suffered the punishment for those sins. A punishment that we could not suffer and live. For the punishment of sin is death. And then Jesus said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. He would be taken down from the cross. Joseph of Arimathea, along with Nicodemus, two men on the Jewish royal council, ruling council, that is, who did not go along with what the other leaders were doing. They put Jesus in a grave and laid him there, Nicodemus brought 75 pounds of aloes to anoint the body, and and Joseph put him in his grave. That never had a person laid in that grave. It was newly cut out. And then they rolled the stone in front of it and sealed it. Yes, Jesus died a criminal's death, but God the Father took that criminal death and turned it into a sacrifice for sins. It looked like Satan was winning, but Satan was being defeated. For the very Jesus who died on the cross to pay for our sins, took all of our sins on him, and in return gave us his righteousness, his holiness. And righteousness and holiness is the ticket to heaven. But he not only won for us everlasting life in heaven, but he also won for us with his sacrifice on the cross, one of the most precious and beautiful gifts that could ever be given and only Jesus could give it. The forgiveness of sins. We are sinners who deserve God's wrath and condemnation but because of Jesus we now live without a guilty conscience. When we pray, Lord have mercy on me a sinner we do so with believing hearts that that Lord we pray to has paid for our sins in full. The victory is ours and through faith in him we are saved. I draw your attention to 1 John chapter 4, verse 11. Dear friends, if God loved us so much, we also should love one another. Jesus, during his public ministry, had a teacher of the law come up to him. We do not know the man's name. It's not recorded in scripture. But we do know about the question he asked, an interesting question, a question that I believe people are still asking today. What must I do to inherit eternal life? But it's the wrong question. The question isn't what must I do. The question rather is what has Jesus done for me in order to save me? So Jesus replied to the man, since he was an expert in the law, he was an expert in the Old Testament Bible. He said, well, what does the Bible say? The man replied, love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. The two main commands of scripture. It sums up all of God's commands of perfect love. Love the Lord, and out of love for the Lord, love one another. And Jesus said, you have answered correctly. But the man wanted to justify himself. He wanted to really break in front of Jesus that he was a good man who's really done all this. So he asked the question, then who is my neighbor? Oh, the religious leaders love to debate that question. Well, a neighbor would be someone who lives right next to you. That's certainly a neighbor. Or maybe it is someone you've come in contact with. That's certainly a neighbor. But the argument usually was, is it your neighbor someone who's nice to you so you can be nice back to them? They would never consider an enemy to be a neighbor. That one you stay way away from because he's your enemy. So Jesus tells them a parable. And now we go back to a lonely road between Jerusalem and Jerusalem and Jericho. You've heard me say earlier that this was a dangerous road in the sense that there were always robbers and thieves, so you did not travel alone. But in Jesus' parable, this earthly story with a heavenly meaning, we have a man who's traveling alone from Jerusalem, and he does encounter robbers and thieves. In fact, we're told that they actually stole from him, they actually beat him up, And even though the Bible always says they left him half dead in the original language, the word half dead means that this man is near death. Without help, he cannot live. He needs medical assistance. This is is not a man who can just simply sleep it off. So he's laying there almost dead. But now a priest comes. That's a religious leader. This is a man who prays for God's people and their behalf. This is a man who offers sacrifices to the people. This is a man very connected with the Lord. He also knows his holy scriptures. He sees the man, and instead of helping the man, he walks by on the other side. Then comes the Levite. Well, he's an assistant to the priest. He would certainly know. He's he's had to butcher animals and do this in behalf of the people, and, and he serves in the temple all the time. And all day long, he would certainly stop, but he walks by on the other side. Then comes the Samaritan. He sees the man, and he approaches the man. He helps the man. He even, he even pour, pour, pours on him ointment and medicine and puts him on his horse and sends, and then takes him personally to an inn where he could get medical attention. And and he doesn't even just stop there. The next day, he gives the innkeeper two silver coins, which each one was worth a day's worth of wages, more than enough to cover his medical expenses. But then he told the man that he had to go. But next time I come by, if there's any expense that's not covered, I will cover it. What's interesting about this Samaritan, we call him a good Samaritan, but at the time he was actually probably not considered a good Samaritan. For the Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans hated the Jews. They would have seen a Samaritan as an enemy. Someone that they were appalled by. Someone that they would stay by. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho actually totally avoided and went around Samaria because of their dislike for each other. This good Samaritan is an enemy who goes and helps someone who would be considered an enemy. I've read one time That someone said, out of all the great philosophers in this world, only one ever said, love and pray for your enemies. And it wasn't some great philosopher, it was our Savior, Jesus Christ. That out of love for our Lord, we love one another. Savior who gave his life for us and won for us eternal salvation. Here are the beautiful words recorded in Mark chapter 16, verse 15. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. That's exactly what the apostle Paul did, called by God to be an apostle to the Gentiles. He ended up preaching and teaching in the city, a Greek city called Athens. not far would be Corinth, and there a congregation was actually started. Jesus is at Athens, and he's actually in at the center of religion and philosophy. And he's looking at all the statues that are around, all the statues to the false gods. He had been preaching the day before about Jesus and his resurrection, and many of these philosophers were making fun of him. They were actually calling him by name. They called him the seed picker, which literally has the idea that, oh, he just picks up knowledge here and there, and then he spews some garbage out of his mouth. Well, Paul, in his preaching and teaching, did get the attention of many of these and and religious people that they actually brought them to their council. And here at this council, Paul makes it very clear that you guys are very much religious. Look at all the statues you have to all the different gods that you claim are out there. And in fact, You even have a statue to an unknown God to make sure that you don't offend any gods that might be out there. I am here today, Paul will say, to tell you who that unknown God is, because I know who he is. And the unknown God is not like these other gods. All these other gods, they come from human thinking. They come from human hands. These are statues created by man. These are statues made out of gold and silver and stone. But the one true God is not made by human hands. He doesn't need a temple made by human hands to live in. This is the God who has created everything. And because this is a God who's created everything, man is without excuse. Your ignorance and believing in all these different gods, these man-made gods, is complete foolishness. And therefore, Paul calls for them to repent of their sins, for that is the message of Christ. And to repent of their sins, not just by being sorry for their sins, but trusting in the forgiveness of sins that is is theirs only by Jesus himself. And the proof of it is his resurrection. This is why Paul was preaching about Jesus and the resurrection, because this is a message these people needed to hear. Even today, people believe in all kinds of gods, and and the biggest false god out there is their own sinful self. But there is only one true God. And just think, this one true God has given each and every one of us here the privilege and honor to not only know the truth, but to share the truth with others. Because Christ has called us to do this. And we can't thank him enough for the opportunity to do it. God will bless you with opportunities. Look for those opportunities. Be ready to share Christ. Be ready to let your light light shine. That people may see the love of Christ in your heart and praise the Almighty above. To God be the glory, as we join in this glory of proclaiming His holy name. Thank you for taking the time to listen to a sermon podcast from Salem Evangelical Lutheran Church. If you have any further questions or would like to learn more about Salem Lutheran and its ministry, please check out our website at www.salemevlutheran.org. Once again, that is www.s-a-l-e-m-e-v-l-u-t-h-e-r-a-n.org. May God bless you today and every day.